Hello everyone and welcome to the next edition of the VTX podcast. Here at the Veterinary Thought Exchange, we always start by asking, what are you thinking? This week we're going to be chatting to Lindsay, who is a registered veterinary nurse at the RBC. She is also the creator of the Veterinary Webinars. Um, And rather interestingly, uh, we're going to be talking to her about the use of faecal catheters in the ICU. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -mm -mm. Put in bags. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Aye. Um, and just to introduce myself, my name is Scott. I'm a European and Royal College recognised specialist in small animal internal medicine. Um, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend in life and podcasting, oh. Karen. Yeah, lovely. I'm also joined by Tyler. Oh. Come and say welcome to my podcast. Tyler, come on. Please. You're, you're, a, you're a professional at this. Hi. Okay, well, I'll podcast what are we going to be thinking about (laughs) (laughs) what are we going to be thinking about we are going to be thinking about gymnastics oh that would be a good show maybe next week right and buy poo pants no we're not doing poo pants we are talking about poo though Okay, so thanks so much for joining us, uh, Lindsay. We're really pleased to have you on the podcast. Um, I wonder if we can just start by you kind of introducing yourself um, and telling everyone a little bit about who you are. Um, hi, Scott. Okay, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so I, so my name's Lindsay Davis. I'm an RVN at the RVC. I work in the emergency critical care department. Um, I trained, I did the diploma um, and I trained in a small practice in Southwest Wales. Um, the, the on-call wasn't particularly busy, but we did see quite a few emergencies and got very involved. So um, I very much enjoyed like the emergency and critical care part of things. And then when I qualified, I decided I wanted a job, which was very like a lot, well, a bit more challenging because obviously there's only so much you can do normally in small first opinions um, and a bit more like ECC based. I wasn't really sure if that kind of job existed. And when I applied at the RVC, I didn't actually think I was going to get the job. Um, but I got it and actually like I really love it I've been there for three and a half years um and actually a lot of it is very much shaped like my career and where I want to go with it um because yeah I I really enjoy what I do there and I just think I remember walking in on day one and thinking oh my god I'm never going to be good enough to do this job I never like how do people do this job like how are these people so smart how are they so skilled I was like oh my god and then like 12 months later I sort of learned to tread water and kind of knew what I was doing a little bit and then you know as time's gone on I've you know I feel like I've really got my feet there and like I really I feel like I'm all right at my job and I think um and I also like really enjoy teaching um so it kind of like developed onto if I a nine month qualified first opinion nurse from southwest Wales can go and like you know learn to do um what we do in the RBC ECC department there's no reason that the rest of the country can't learn to do or even the rest of like the world can't learn to do a lot of what we do and a lot of what we do is really like forward thinking for patient care, patient, patient treatment, you know, patient nursing, especially. Um, and that's why I originally created um, the CCRVN was to, you know, give people those snippets of knowledge and start to, you know, connect with um, like the veterinary nursing community and see if there was 
you know, interest to develop in this way. And actually it's grown quite quickly considering I really don't post as much as I should on it. Um, yeah, no, I was going to say, there's a, I think there's a real appetite for people learning and, and knowing more and doing better, you know, so particularly on some of the social media platforms, you know, particularly Instagram, I think people really do and they're really keen to absorb any knowledge that or, or you know, things that people are kind of putting out there. I just wanted to go back to this um this idea of you coming from the small practice in southwest Wales. You can definitely tell that's where you're from. Um but it's I think that's a really inspiring thing to say that actually if you can if you can go to somewhere like the RVC and, and to be honest, I think anyone would be intimidated walking into the RVC particularly the RVC ICU. And I mean, I would literally not even know where to begin. So I think that's intimidating for anyone. But I think that's a really inspiring thing to say that actually, not that if you can do it, but you, you know, that's how we, we all feel a bit like that. But but truly, it's, it's, we're all capable of doing lots of lots of things that we don't necessarily think we can. Um, and I think a lot of it is to do with, um, who you work with, the kind of facilities you're in, and obviously, yeah. um, you're you're I'm sure surrounded by some really inspirational people every day at, at the RBC. Yeah, it's amazing, and like that that was re- what really like you know set me up. You know, I remember I think it was my second day there, and so they were really good actually, and they give you like this whole um, like few weeks like training, and like I remember my first week was literally just shadowing, um, and so like I walked into ICU on the Tuesday morning, and ICU was full, and we can hold like. 20 to 24 patients in ICU, depending on like how many like cots or incubators are um, accommodated, that's the word. Mm-hmm. And yeah, my second day and I was like, oh gosh, okay, well, you know, try and see what we can learn and see what we can do. And I, I attached myself to Kate Nichols, um, who's my head nurse and, um, you know, Kate Nichols, she's like written the textbooks and stuff. And I, <laughs> um, she, and she's amazing. And she, so anyway, I connect, like I attached myself to her and like, we never did drug doses where I used to work and we never used to reconstitute like anything apart from like Marbacil. And even then I had to ask her to do it every time. Um, and I remember she was making up like an amoxiclav dose and she was like, oh, can you reconstitute this for me? And I was like, no. <laughs> and um, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get fired on my second day. They're going to know I'm an idiot. They're going to know I don't know anything. I was like, oh, why did I follow around Kate Nichols? <laughs> <laughs> And then she was like, oh, yeah, that's fine. And then, like, even though, like, the wor- like when I see busy, it feels like the world is falling apart around you. Like, even though that was happening, she, like, still, like, really calmly and, like, really, like, supportively just explained to me how to reconstitute a moxclav and what the make of the mill was and then, like, give me, like, a little quick refresher on, like, how to do a drug dose. And I was like, oh, my God, this is great. Like, oh, okay, I don't feel like such an idiot anymore. And she was like, everyone learns at their own pace. Like, don't stress about it. And I was like... Okay, great. <laughs> and, and some things that some some things that are easy for some people are not for others. If you handed me a bottle of glucose and a, a bag of saline and asked me to make up a fifty percent glucose solution, I would I literally probably wouldn't be able to do it. Like there's certain things that just are you know are never easy, you know. And I think we all have different strengths. Certainly, making up solutions is not mine, or re- reconstituting anything is not mine. Um, do you think that? You know, when you were kind of talking about setting up this Instagram page and kind of putting knowledge out there, what when you when you created that profile, what was your kind of um, what was the reason behind that? What what did you kind of think was going to come of that? What was your vision for it? So my big thing is that I 
so, you know, obviously you see like, you know, Lou um, and Courtney who runs like venue anesthesia and, um, you know, like Alex the Katniss and they've been going for like a little while now. And like what I wanted to do was get into, um, you know, like hosting CPD and, you know, teaching other people how to do it. But there's not really a clear cut way into that industry. And it's very hard to like, you know, almost make a name for yourself, especially when, you know, you work at the RVC and there's like 120 specialized nurses at the RVC. So like, you know, not only are you like this tiny fish in like a big vet nursing pond, you're also um, a small fish in an RVC pond as well. Um, and so I thought, oh, well, I'll do the Instagram because other people have do, are doing it. And, you know, it's purely for um, like teaching and like the RBC are very happy for you to do that as long as you keep, you know, uh, like client confidentiality. And it's for, you know, teaching purposes. And I'm very um, like I'm very big on never posting anything for shock factor. Like I've got some of the craziest, most horrific, like mental, like sort of pictures on my phone, but or like, you know, really skilled like surgeries and things like that. But until I can find a way to post them educationally I'm not posting them because that's someone's pet at the end of the day um so yeah it was very much like a right I can start on Instagram you know I'm quite good at like writing little informative like snippets um and like explaining it and um so if I do that I'll see if people like what I write and then if people like what I write then hopefully you know it'll lead on to me you know like getting um positions maybe congress or doing like webinars um for like webinar platforms and things like that so I was hoping it would um kind of get my name out there and progress like that and then I immediately got really bad imposter syndrome and had it for like a year, had it until, I mean, still have it actually, to be honest. Um, yeah, yeah, we all. And I was terrified to even put my face on it. So I was doing all these like really like appreciated like Instagram posts and quizzes, but no one knew my name. So I was kind of like, I've shot myself in the foot here. So then a few, I think it was what, like three or four months ago, like Lou says to me all the time, she's like, you need to put your face on there. You need to get your name out there. Like, this is what you created it for to even begin with, like do it. And then, I must have lost about three days of sleep over writing the post, which I put my face on. Um, and then I did it and it got a really good reception, but it was like, fine. So like I did it for a year anonymously kind of shooting myself in the foot about the whole CPD thing because no one knew who I was. <laughs> but I think I, we, we, we have spoken about this before and it's really interesting because I, we had Lou on the podcast a few before she had her baby. Um, and she actually said a very similar thing to me. Like I think, you know, um, I suppose we're in a, you know, we we have a logo which you know we were very proud of, um, and actually I, I suppose similar to you, it's a you you know you've got a logo on there, not a picture of your face, and I think I feel very similar. Like I think it's a totally different kettle of fish when you're actually the one sitting saying something in a video, or you know what I mean. Like that's another step on, and I think in some ways you already feel under pressure putting out content. Well, certainly I do because you are immediately feel like you're up for kind of scrutiny, but then you put your face on it and it's this whole other level of, of kind of scrutiny. So, um, so maybe I need to get some tips from you about how to start, um, you know, getting my face on there. I think it is definitely something that it, it definitely works. And I think Lou's right. Like, I think it does have a positive kind of spin on it. So you, obviously your, your page has been very successful. Did you, are you, how do you feel about that? Are you not kind of a, a bit kind of taken aback or blown away by how popular it's become? Oh yeah, massively. Like it really shocked me. Um, like I know that I'm like, like I do like teaching and like, I want to say I know I'm good at teaching, but like, I, I know I'm like good at explaining things as such, but I, yeah, I never expected that. And I always think like originally when I started it and I've kind of forgotten this, I, I have to remind myself of this, but I was like, right, 
if I can teach one person to do something a little bit easier or a little bit better or a little bit, you know, more accurate for their patient and, you know, for themselves as well, because it's good, like confidence for nurses to be able to, you know, just be able to like do a blood pressure and, get, and find the pulse first time. Like when I started the, started at the RBC, I couldn't do that. <laughs> um, and so like, yeah, so when I started, I was very much like, right, if I can teach one person to improve what they do, with a post then amazing or if I've taught one person one new thing great so like you know the fact that I you know I'm getting like 100 150 likes per post is incredible and like a lot of people really like my quizzes and I actually get a lot of like private messages being like oh yeah I really liked your like your quizzes blah 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 so it's really weird because I've had nothing but good feedback and like you know I get a lot of likes and like you know I'm nearing like 3,500 followers but at the same time I'm still like I'll write a post and then I'll be like no it's crap I'm not posting that <laughs> and then like I put it in my drafts and I'll post it like several months later and um like one of my best posts was like one about um weighing litter trays and because I do it all the time I kind of thought oh yeah that's like you know a bit of common sense and I bet everyone does that blah 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 and then I posted it and it was like one of my biggest posts and I was like oh my god look at all these people who like I've taught to do that and hopefully that makes it a lot handier and I was just like you need to remind yourself of why you're doing this <laughs> um yeah. I think it's also important, you know, I think in, um, uh, another inst- another amazing um, Instagram nurse said to me the other day, which I think is very true, is that it's not necessarily about the number of followers, but it's about that engagement. And if you're getting really good engagement with your followers and you're able to impart some really good knowledge and people are actually applying that to their lives, then you're absolutely succeeding in this goal, you know, of improving what we do generally and I think that's an amazing amazing thing what um tell me then how you get to the point of creating the veterinary webinars how did that how did that come to be um so I so what did I do I started the CCRBN uh like a year and a half ago now something like that um with the obviously with the idea that eventually I would like to you know speak at congress and you know do my own webinars and blah 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 and create you know like my own sort of CPD and teach people you know how to nurse like an ECC nurse um and then I thought all right okay so I basically what I wanted was a platform where um like I got to keep my own like intellectual property like I owned my webinars I got to use my um my logo you know so people could recognize me even though I hadn't got my face on there um (laughs) And where I basically create, where like, you know, I would upload my webinars and I would create a, uh, like an ongoing income for myself rather than selling my webinars for other people to make, you know, like all the profit off or, you know, all the sponsorship and blah, blah, blah. Um, and when I was looking, I was like, okay, that doesn't exist. And I looked quite a lot and didn't seem to find it. <laughs> um, and like, obviously like, you know, Congress is a once a year thing and that's quite hard to get spoken to, uh, like asked to speak at. And this, again, it's not really something that you can, you know, diversify your career and like connect with people and like on like it's amazing but um do you know what I mean like that's still quite limited on what you can do with it so I was like uh I don't I don't really know why I have this level of ambition and like drive but I was like okay well I'll create it because that's just the kind of person I am um so I sat down and I you know I mapped out you know the kind of like platform I was looking for and you know like how I would create it and my boyfriend's quite IT savvy so I was like oh yeah, we'll just create it. It'll be fine. Um, and I, um, and then I looked into it more and I remember like laying in like, uh, like brainstorming all these names for it. And I couldn't think of like a cool one. And then I was literally laying in bed one night and it was like half 11 and I was like, 
webinars, veterinary webinars, let's do that. And I was, yeah, so, um, so there's a few like months into like the making and me and my boyfriend tried to like create like a WordPress site, which was that kind of platform with like the peer review system and things like that. And I, it just wasn't possible. <laughs> like it just wasn't going to happen. So, um, I then like, you know, I created like a, um, it was like, t- it's like 10 pages long, like a drawing of exactly how I wanted webinars to work. Um, and I approached several different like IT companies and I was like, you know, like, can you build this? How do I build this? You know, how much is it going to cost? And I managed to find one, um, to do it on a budget and they like, I met up with them and they're a company in Milton Keynes, really great, really great company. Um, and they, yeah, they mapped it all out with me and they were like, this is what we can do for you on your budget. And, um, I think like it took them about nine months. Um, and then nine months later, we launched it in May of this year. Cool. And again, I have I have so much respect for that because actually, I suppose I understand a little bit about um, the pressures of starting up uh, a new uh, venture um, mm. and, and having to, um, I mean, I'm not, by, by the sounds of it, you've got some IT uh, capability. I mean, Karen will confirm to everyone that I have absolutely zero IT capability. Zero. Um, and so, zero. Um, so we, we also had to approach a, a company to help us. But I think when you're kind of on your own, like you are, or just a couple of people as we are, um, it's a big deal. And especially when you feel, when you're kind of this tiny fish, for, you know, from a CPD point of view, in this massive ocean yeah. of large CPD companies that are, you know, global and huge and blah, blah, blah. Like, I know that that's, I, I felt intimidated, you know, and I think, but I think what you have to kind of stay strong to is the fact that what you've created is unique. And um, that's what's so great about it. So, so much respect for you kind of doing that. Um, yeah, so can you just explain to people how the platform actually works? So, okay, so it's really straightforward, actually. So I, so like I said, I wanted to create that kind of platform, but creating that kind of platform for other people to also use meant making it like very, you know, as user-friendly as possible. Um, and really all you have to do now is make a veterinary webinars account. So you go to veterinarywebinars.com, make an account. Um, and you go into my account and you um, like submit webinar and you upload your webinars. Um, when you upload your webinar, it gets sent to me. Um, and like, you know, like I far from know everything, but being an ECC, I kind of know the basics of quite a lot of different areas. Um, so like I standard check it and I just make sure you know that, you know, there's not like something like bizarre in it. Like, you know, if someone uploads a webinar and they're like, oh yeah, if you scruff a cat like this, it's great. Well, obviously I'm not gonna allow that to go through. <laughs> um, but if um but also like you know if i get stuff like that or if i get something that doesn't quite meet the standards then i'll you know and also you know i can look up things as well i've got like quite a large library i have access to so i can you know fact check things i'm not sure of um but i also give people feedback so if i say oh i'm really sorry you haven't passed the standard check i tell them how to do it so you know a lot of my time has been spent you know mentoring people to create webinars because like the whole point in my platform is that i want people to use it and be successful um so yeah so once that's all done and they've met the standards um i then have a list of like specialists in different areas so i'll then allocate in quotations um that webinar to a specialist in that area and then they'll watch it and review it and like i call it peer review but i mean there's not really any better word for it so like a peer review system so before it gets published it has to pass a double check system um and now the rcvs doesn't um they don't accreditate any CBD and they also don't say that your CBD has to be accredited. Like that's the whole point in the um, like reflection system. You know, what have you learned from this? But I didn't want people to just be uploading things like willy nilly and 
also I don't want people to come along, watch something and think, oh, that's not accurate. And then they lose like trust in the system too. Um, so by implementing that double standard check, it means you know that you'll get when you come and you buy um, CBD from Webinars and well, from the speakers on Webinars because you don't buy it from me, you buy it from them. Um, you know you're getting top quality CBD. Um, and then um, what happens then? So once the speakers have had their uh, webinars published, they then make 70% of every sale. So that's, um, I think, £21 on a £30 webinar. So instead of, um, you know, me buying their webinars and me selling their webinars, and, you know, it's a great business model for me if I want to make loads of money, but it doesn't create passive income for other nurses. So what happens then is they create like a passive income. So if that webinar is bought 10 times in a month, that's £210 on top of their wages. If it's bought, I mean, 100 times in a year, which would be really nice, that's like, £2,100. So, you know, as it grows, hopefully those are very realistic figures that we can reach. You know, I've had, um, I think the most I had was 32 sales of a webinar in one week so far. So it is growing quite well. Um, and so that's, you know, it's really great, actually. And I love the fact that it's kind of a, a model that, that you say it's, a, it's, it's, there's benefit for you, but I, I love the fact that it kind of supports other people and allows other people to potentially you know uh, uh develop webinars and, and 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 present webinars where they may not have ever had that opportunity before you know so it's a, it's a really um it's really nice and it's very kind of collaborative and kind of supportive i think and i, I do think that this is a um a really nice system that you put in place is this is this peer review and, and, and by definition it is a peer review thing and i think what's nice about that is you've said that it's not about criticizing people. It's not about saying you're wrong. I think it's really important that you do look for the weird and wonderful because I can imagine that, you know, there there are some people with a, a variety of unusual ideas, shall we say. And I think you've got a responsibility to kind of make sure that the, the best information is put out there. Um, I, I also think like I, I feel very much that pressure as far as when I'm writing a webinar, I have so much um consideration for the accuracy of what i'm saying um and and i think it's it's frightening because i always do a pubmed search yeah. um of the topic that i'm speaking about usually on the day that i'm writing the webinar and there'll literally be a paper that's come out like last week that changes an idea or um you know is a, is a new concept and so actually you're constantly having to keep uh, up to date as well with information and and webinars that we wrote a year ago when we first launched VTX, I'm actually re-recording some of those this week because things have not changed dramatically, but there there have been some differences in, in the way that we do things. So yeah. I think that's a really nice way of kind of keeping the whole thing very up to date, very relevant. Um, and I think what I like about your, uh, you know, the content you're producing from from that point of view is there's a lot of really practical stuff on there and actually joking about calculating drug dosages obviously that's been something that you've promoted recently and it's the that's the kind of thing that i need to be <laughs> that i need to be watching um because mm. it's, it's relevant for us all it's not even just a <laughs> nurse specific thing i think it's good for vet students vet nurse students you know whatever so um no i think your your concept is really good and i also have so much respect for you um as far as doing it and and having the you know the 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 courage to to put yourself out there and do it so it's 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 amazing what do you what's your kind of um 
we'll not talk about kind of five-year plans, but what's your vision for the future of, of uh, Vetmi webinars? Um, so yeah, like, well, just to touch back on the courage thing. I don't know if it's courage or if it's just that I just have this, I just don't even know. I've just got this drive and when I need to do it, when I like get this idea, I just can't not do it. But um, yeah, isn't I? Like, I, I like the idea and I like the, yeah, so like with the maths thing as well. So I like that people can just come along and they pick their subject as well. So it's not a case of, oh, well, I think this will sell, so I think you should write it. Actually, it's very much a, as long as it's for the purpose of teaching vets and vet nurses or SQPs, you crack on and chat about what you want as long as it's correct, which is really cool. Um, in my opinion, I don't mean to humble brag. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> I like that idea. Um, anyway, so um, yeah, so like the future of veterinary webinars. So we only launched in May. And I think like at first I was a bit like, oh yeah, you know, this is quite a good idea. And you know what, who, the people who I've spoken to are all like very um, up for it. Um, but at the same time, I can't expect people to just come to me. So what I've been doing is setting up like one-to-one -one Zoom calls with people and, you know, chatting to them. And actually, I really love hearing about their career and their goals and, you know, then like how webinars can like fit in with them. Um, so at the moment, so the first 12 months, I'm building the library, if nothing else. So, um, you know, eventually I want to do my own webinars, but at the moment I am focusing on doing like a few other projects. Um, but that is like, you know, my long-term goal. So yeah, at the moment I'm doing Zoom calls with lots of different people and, as many people as I can and you know telling them about this opportunity so the first 12 months is very much um building a library um I'd like to turn um a lot of my ECCRVN posts into like informative like blog posts so I can expand on them a lot further and um actually like reference them properly because I purposefully don't reference on the ECCRVN posts because social media is not a CPD platform and I want people to read what I've written and go and find the information themselves. I don't want them to, you know, read what I'm written and take it at face value just because it's got a reference at the bottom. Actually, no one double checks my work. Go and read it. Go and, go and Google it. Go and look it up yourself. And that's, you know, another reason I don't put references at the bottom. Um, so I, so yeah, anyway, so 12 months is like blog, building the library. Um, and then I'd really like, um, so I've, I'm already talking in, well, there, it's already being put into place that we should be able to host um, like live um, webinars as well. Um, it's just getting it implemented and, you know, like getting the IT guys to do that because, because I've got like developers who run the website, like I run the functions, but like big updates they need to do. So um, eventually live webinars and then, you know, like next year or the year after, like I would really love to, you know, do an online Congress. Um, and again, with that, it will be very much a case of, um, instead of me being like, oh, you're, you're really great. Like you come and speak at Congress, blah, blah. Actually, I'm going to put it out to everyone and be like, I want you to tell me if you want to speak at Congress and then you put forward an idea rather than me being like, do, do you know what I mean? So, so it makes it more like accessible as well to everyone. So, you know, as much as I, I want the big names and I want, you know, the seasoned speakers to come and speak at my Congress if they want to, I also want people who've never done it before to come and give it a go. I love, I honestly, I think you've got a really it's a really kind of fresh look at all of this stuff like I think you're you know you're doing obviously webinars have been around for a long time and congresses have been around for a long time but it's just a slightly sort of different spin on it and I really like that and I think that's that's true like you, mm. you people need opportunities you know you you mm. all the big speakers get asked every year to speak at all the congresses because they're the big speakers and actually and they're amazing yes exactly but also it's really nice. There are so many people out there who are also really brilliant speakers, have loads of information to, to 
to get across and just don't have the opportunity. And so I think that it's amazing that you are building uh, an opportunity for other people to do that. So, yeah, I think honestly, I think that's such a great idea and and, and so um, beneficial for so many people, for sure. Thank you. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I honestly, I've been just, I, very inspiring. Actually, talking about inspiring, I wanted to ask you who inspires you? Who do you get inspired by? It doesn't have to be veterinary, but someone maybe, you know, someone in, within the veterinary profession that you find inspirational. Um, in the veterinary, like I, I find, it's not really like one figure as far as like, you know, finding people inspirational. Actually, I... Like I work, it's more like just the group, like it's the group of people that I work with really. Like I, um, God, like, ev- like honestly everyone I work with, and I know that sounds really silly, but genuinely, like the nurses, the patient care assistants, like the vets, like the vet students, like they're just incredible people. And like I, oh, we're just like, we're constantly learning off each other. Like I'm constantly, you know, like I'm watching, you know, my senior vets, like, have families and do studies and write textbooks and teach and like I'm like you're incredible like this is like and it's amazing for like you know to watch women actually do that because it's very it's hard having a uterus and the ambition do you know what I mean <laughs> like, <laughs> it is and yeah. and it scares me as well but like I, I really like seeing like my peers achieve so freaking much be amazing vets and vet nurses and have a family and it's amazing like Mm. it's just it's it's something that you know I it used to scare me and I see it happen all the time and I watch people do it now and I'm like okay it's fine it's not that scary it is possible (laughs) yeah I I, no I think it's such well Mm. you're you're absolutely right I think it's hard though and and I um just for the uh for everyone I don't have a uterus but um I um I have two children and, and and I do I think that um, you know that balancing act. I think it, it is really difficult, but it, it's it's totally achievable. You know, we I've actually I don't know. You need to watch yourself because there's been a um, we've had a lot of pregnant women on this podcast recently, and a lot of um, uh, sort of people who are just about to have babies. And it's been so insp- inspiring to speak to them, all veterinary professionals, nurses, and vets. Um, and um, I think it's it's totally possible though to to balance those two things. Yeah. Um. And and again, I think that comes down to the people you work with because I work with very supportive people who understand sometimes the challenges. Obviously, we'll edit it out of the podcast, but I can tell the people that are listening that we've had to have a couple of breaks because my kids are making so much noise <laughs> yeah. in the background. Um, which is also fine. <laughs> which is also fine. Yeah. But it's funny. Yeah. You know, and actually, the the biggest stress for me is that. Andy's away being a vet nurse this week because it's the school holidays. So he's getting, he's actually at Edinburgh Vet School this week um, and, and getting a chance to, you know, to, to do what he loves. And I'm here with the kids, which I find incredibly stressful. Um, and I would actually, I would much rather be at work. Anyway. Um, <laughs> So, okay, so on the note, uh, on that note of kind of learning from each other, so I am, um, I'm really keen to speak to you today about something that mm. we kind of touched on when we were chatting before, um, and that is about the use of fecal catheters in dogs, particularly obviously in the ICU. Now, I don't, this is something that I, 
I can't remember how how did we get talking about that? I mean, I don't know. Um, just came up. <laughs> oh, because I that's all I ever end up talking about. It's like my favorite tangent. Okay. <laughs> I just I'm fairly queen. What can I say? Do you want to? Because it's a it's a concept that I have. Um, uh, obviously, I've heard about and and we we have dabbled with, but it it's definitely something that's not well. Uh, recognized and used across the veterinary profession in the UK. Um, so I just wonder whether you can explain to people what we're talking about. <laughs> so so basically when I started, so I have like, I mean, who doesn't? So I like have this anxiety around feces and like when a patient like <laughs> blows on themselves, like it's a nightmare, like they are fairy it's it's hell let's be honest and I it would be awful yeah yeah it's terrible and yeah. um but like you know <laughs> oh it's just dreadful I really hate it it gives me real anxiety so when I started at the RVC and like <laughs> we saw it all the time because it's a busy ICU I remember like the first time and I oh like and I remember I had, I had this patient and obviously like he's all defecated on his back end all like horrendous watery diarrhea and I was like ah flapping about trying to like clean him and L um Al Husky, she, um, I remember working with her one day and her being like, oh, why don't you stick a Foley in, the, in him? And I was like, I don't really know what a Foley is. Like, I didn't really have much like <laughs> experience of urinary catheters. So I definitely didn't even know what a Foley was. And um, she was like, oh yeah. And then she explained it. And so basically what we do is we use um, like Foley catheters, which are large urinary catheters. And you usually use like a 20 French or like a 24 French um, rectally to, as a bowel management system to catch diarrhea and it's incredible like literally what like I and I love them and I don't know why everyone isn't using them and why no one's done it like much literature so the only vet so I when I created veterinary revenues I wanted to uh, teach everyone how to use them and then I looked into the literature and I was like god there's nothing on it and even mm. there is one chapter in a textbook and Oh, it's a really big textbook and I can't remember the name of it, but the chapter is called Advanced uh, Gastrointestinal Procedures. And I think it's like an advanced veterinary medicine textbook. Um, mm -hmm. And even in there, um, I think it's Lisa Smart who wrote it. She says about using them, but she's like, it's purely anecdotal. So even here is like, it's anecdotal. So I, um, I was like, right, well, I'm going to do a study on their use and like how safe they are. And when you look at the human literature, basically they are... Basically what happens is in human ICUs, they put a feeding tube in your nose, like a nasal, an NG tube. Um, and then as soon as they do that, because you're like obtunded or on the vent or whatever, they stick a bowel management system in because immediately it turns to liquid. So they, they preempt a bit, they preempt it. Well, as far as that's my understanding of it anyway, I don't actually know this for sure, but this is what I've read. And I've read quite a lot of human literature at this point on it. Um, mm -hmm. And basically, but what they have is they have like set models um, and those models are like 200 pound um, and therefore human rectums, whereas like animals have, um, you know, obviously a lot of varying anatomy and this is only really for using canines. Um, so basically they, Foley catheters used rectally and they call them balloon, you know, balloon rectal catheters in humans are now contraindicated because of the complication rates and that in humans, they leave them in for like a month um 
And so the concern is like the barotrauma. So where the balloon is sat against your rectum, like my understanding is it basically, um, it starts like while that balloon, the pressure is sat against the rectum, it basically starves the area of oxygen to an extent, um, which causes like bowel necrosis. And obviously it's your bowel, which then leads to ulceration, thinning of the bowel and, you know, eventually perforation if it does get that bad. Um, and so that's the concern with them in human medicine. Now in animals, in veterinary patients, they're not used very often. Well, we use them all the time, but they're not widespread use. So the safest technique and how long you're meant to leave them in, um, like size, balloon size, that kind of thing is all different because on a Foley catheter, it says the balloon holds 30 mils. Well, I'm not gonna put a 30 mil balloon in a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel, like that's huge. <laughs> um, or maybe a cavy maybe a big cavy i don't know but anyway I, I wouldn't i personally wouldn't put 30 mils in a balloon of a rectum of cav cavalier king charles spaniel um but that might be perfectly safe for all i know i haven't got a clue there's no literature on it so what i'm looking at in my study is i'm going to do a two-part study um and at the moment i'm doing the retrospective so i'm looking at um and honestly i'm undecided between 50 and 75 depending on how easy i can find the information in the kennel sheets um so a significant um pool of patients and I'm basically going to look at um, how long the catheter was in for, what they presented with, why it was placed, um, the like mean balloon size, and then like minor complications, like did they pass the balloon? How long, like did they tolerate it? Um, that's kind of the only really minor complications that we've encountered. And then the major complications, like what else are we getting? Like, are we getting, like, are we seeing bowel pressure necro uh, necrosis with it? Are we um, seeing, you know, like rectal bleeding? Are we seeing, um, so we had one patient who had a, um, I don't know what the real name for it is, but like a pneumocolon. Um, and we don't actually know whether or not that was associated with um, the with the Foley catheter he, ha he had in. And I guess it's very difficult to tell if you're not protoscoping them, um, but it is, but it is something that I will now be included included as like a possible complication. So what are the main, are you seeing a significant number of complications with these uh, catheters? No, we're not. And that's something that, again, like I, in my, I hypothesize that using them for under 48 hours um, and correct like maintenance um, of the balloon um, and where it sits in the rectum, I hypothesize that they are relatively safe. Like, you know, nothing is perfect like even if you place you know UCAT you've got urethral trauma UTIs you know you, you've got a risk with everything and I think that's it's important that I if I'm going to teach people how to use them I need to teach them how to use them safely but also make them understand that even though these are amazing and I really love using them even if you use them safely there probably is still a certain risk a level of risk with them and do you have a do you have a defined protocol for how you use them oh, we have a uh how would you like if you had a ballpark figure of an SOP that's kind of like our technique <laughs> like it's a bit like we kind of have an idea of what we do um and mostly stick to it um and so like the biggest thing really is like deflating the balloon like every few hours basically to like allow that oxygen or that those tissues to reperfuse um with the balloon's been sat against them for x amount of hours um and so to be honest, I think I hypothesize <laughs> that that is probably the safest version of it. And when you read the human literature, that also is what they explain is uh, what is what basically prevents the uh, the bowel pressure necrosis. And in, when they, even when they keep these new models in for like 28 days, they still uh, periodically uh, deflate the balloon. Um, 
Yeah, so what I've done as part of my study then and part of my study notes is then develop using human literature and my findings of the retrospective study, um, a proper SOP. Um, and then once I've done, finished my study, I will be presenting that SOP. Um, you know, it, it will be like an official like RVC SOP, but also um, like my own and presenting that to my teammates and the vets and like that I work with and also MedWard use them quite a lot. So I'll obviously be chatting to them about it. Um, and basically standardizing the training properly um, and then doing a prospective study where we look at where we look at you know like what proceed like it's kind of difficult because obviously we're going to have to be comparing a non-standardized um, procedure to a then standardized procedure so basically what I'm going to have to do is basically be like right well you know was there associate an association with what we were doing before and you know what's the association with the complications if we have to standardize in the technique but at least while the technique is standardized i can then look at another big pool of patients and be like right are we seeing complications are we seeing less complications is there a way we can minimize like the prospective study will not be the end of this study that's the thing so you know i expect this will be like an ongoing thing but i definitely at the end of the prospective study will be telling people what we found and say you know doing a webinar on it and selling you know my own sop as long as I find that this is how we minimize complications. And then, you know, in a year or two's time, I'll be, you know, reflecting on that data, probably doing another one, maybe even doing like a randomized trial of like, you know, like different um, techniques. And that could be anything from like taping to the tail and not taping to the tail, or, you know, how often we deflate the balloon or things like that. And then, you know, I can do like a randomized technique study as well. So there's lots of places I can go with this, um, but I'm hoping that, you know, in a few, maybe in a year or two or a few years time, I'll be able to, you know, really be able to teach people the best way to do it because there's so like, there are so many benefits to it. Like, you know, our patients don't like it. It's stressful for them if they like, you know, defecate on themselves. So, you know, you minimize, you know, it's good for their welfare. It, you know, I hypothesize that it, like at the end of the day, it stops the feces going on the skin. It, it must prevent fecal scalding. Um, mm-hmm. And it also helps us do um, like outs as well. So obviously it's not perfect because it's, varying thickness of feces but it's mostly water it has to be water to pass through that foley um and just so just to be clear it it, it 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 comes through the foley catheter and what do you collect it in a urine collection bag oh god it makes me feel ill i've got plenty of photos that if you want to nice. see them <laughs> no, i've got all no. the pictures so it's really great actually because yeah you just but you don't empty it like a urine collection bag because that is vile um like, like I don't know why you would do that. So what we do is we have because the um the foley's connect to the UCAF bags by via like a Christmas tree connector, and I'm doing like hand movements that the people on the podcast aren't going to be able to see. Um, she is doing hand movements. Yeah. <laughs> and um, but yeah, so you would just weigh the bag every few hours, and then you do the outs. <laughs> but then, but it's contained and it doesn't smell because it's in the bag. And then once you're finished with it, you just tie off the bag and bin the bag and change the bag. It's great. And yeah. you know, it, yeah, Scott, don't be a baby. It stops <laughs> contamination of the kennel. It prevents them defecating on like their IV catheters. Like you know, if they've got, yeah. um, I don't know, like if they're in because they've got, um, if they've got something like infectious, and you can bung a foley in them because they've got liquid diarrhea, it contains it. Like you should still bury an is, obviously. Yeah. Um, but it does mean that you know you minimise environmental and patient and staff contamination because it's just in a bag. Easy. No, there are definite, um, there are definite, you can see the definite benefits. And I think um, it's going to be really interesting to see what comes of your work. And, and I think that kind of information 
uh, particularly mm. if you can come up with a protocol that we know is relatively safe, then I think that's really got 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 real benefit for the whole, you know, for the profession generally. So um, you're doing some pretty cool things. So um, there was just a couple yeah. of questions that we're asking uh, everyone that a- appears in the podcast. Um, and the first one is, um, if you were to do your working life again, would you still choose to be a vet nurse? If you'd have asked me two years ago, no. No, three years ago. If you'd have asked me three years ago, no. I actually got into vet school the year that I got the job at the RVC and after, and I deferred it because I was like, oh my God, I could learn loads working at the RVC. Um, and I I spent 12 months at the RVC and was like, I turned, turned it down. And I was like, actually, I really love this job. And so um, I, and I always, I quite like um, kind of the marketing side of things as well. Um, there's quite, like, I've got quite a few interests and I do like teaching and I, I think three years ago, if you'd have said to me, would you have done it again? I would have said maybe not. And I would have gone into teaching, but now, yeah, in a heartbeat, I have like, yeah, I'm actually like, I'm really glad actually of where my life has taken me and where my career has taken me. And like, I love my full-time job. I love veterinary webinars. I love the ECCRVN. Actually, I, I'm actually really happy. And like, also, so my, my best friend is my clinical coach. And if I didn't go into veterinary nursing I would hate to think that I'd never I wouldn't have met her are we allowed to know what her name is or are you not allowed to say Sarah Reed she won Blue Cross Veterinary of the Year 2013 uh, she's a she's a good egg she is she's, oh that's <laughs> nice um oh that's nice and I think that's it's really interesting because for me I think you know my answer to that question varies every day <laughs> but I think mm. it, for me you know I, I've got to um I've got to feel very lucky about the opportunities I've had, but also I think picking up on what you said, I would never have met a lot of the amazing people that I've met. And I think that's, you know, that's always the part for me that's, is, is one of the saving graces of our profession is that actually it's a really tough job. um, But there's a lot of really good people that are doing that really hard job. And, and like you said, that team makes such a difference, you know, and I think that's really important. And, and then if there was one piece of advice that you would give to uh, the younger version of you listening uh, or a younger, you know, vet nurse student out there, um, as far as um, advice from, I suppose, from a getting through uh, every day as a vet nurse point of view, what, what advice would you give them? I just think, just keep it like, just keep going. Like, it cannot be any worse if you don't allow it to be. So you know, you know, my boyfriend says to me sometimes, he's like, like, if I'm having like a hard time, he's a bit like, oh, well, you know, it could be worse. And I'm like, no, it couldn't be because I wouldn't let it. And like, if they're like, oh, you know, but you know, I'm unhappy at work or this and that. And I'm like, do you know what? There are 14,000 registered vet nurses in the UK. There are 5,000 practices. That's 2.5 nurses per practice and 120 of them work with me. I, if you are not treated well at work or you do not like where you work or you know, you want something more from your job, just move. Like you need, like I moved from Southwest Wales to Hertfordshire on, and all I had was a thousand pound in my back pocket. That's all you need. If you can save up a thousand pound, you can move and get a job anywhere else in this country. You've just got to 
make some sacrifices and live in a house share, but <laughs> it's not the end of the world. <laughs> like, uh, you know, and actually I've lived with some really nice people in the house share and um, I don't live in a house share anymore. Like it's not a forever thing, but I just think if you're, if you're unhappy or it might not even be with your job, like, you know, like there was a lot of reasons I left my hometown. It wasn't necessarily because of my job. Yeah, just move and you can always move back. Okay, so just to thank everyone as always for listening, we, we truly appreciate your support. Um, please head over to our social media platforms and give us a like, follow and share. Um, and to learn more about VTX generally, then head over to our website, which is www.vtx-cpd.com. We'd also love you to check out the veterinary webinars um, and the website there is www.veterinarywebinars.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.